happy people are successful people, which has been scientifically proven by applied positive psychology to be true. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Empathy is essential to both learner-centered design and effective leadership. And empathy with doubly disadvantaged individuals like Black women can be that much more important and rare. L. Michelle Smith is a certified executive and personal coach whose work is informed by positive psychology and neuroscience. She's the author of three books, including most recently, Yes, Please, Seven Ways to Say I'm Entitled to the C-Suite. El Michelle's specialty is moving women and women of color to the C-suite and E-suite. She focuses on both professional and personal success, working with women so they can lead organizations they love while also living the lives they want. In this episode, number 366, Salisa and El Michelle Smith talk about the difficulty women of color and women in general face in the workplace because of microaggressive behaviors and biases based on their gender. They also touch on intrinsic motivation, positive emotions like gratitude and amusement, demographic changes to the workforce, the importance of sponsorship and mentorship, and the role of empathy both when leading and when designing learning. Salisa and El Michelle spoke in May 2023. So you are a coach and you also offer online courses. And I would say that most of our listeners offer <laughs> courses, whether those are online or or offline. And I would say that some listeners, but probably fewer, offer coaching that is part of what they put out there sure. as their products and services. So I'd just be curious to know how you think about how you define coaching and what you see as the role of coaching in learning more broadly. Okay. Coaching isn't necessarily teaching, especially when you're talking about credentialed coaching, coaching where folks were trained as professionals and they report in, if you will, loosely to an authority like the International Coaching Federation, which has ethics and standards in place and core capabilities. We as coaches that are professionals are there to explore and accelerate and clarify the goals that you may have for yourself. And then there's also a level of accountability that's there. We do not spend a lot of time telling you what to do. In fact, we don't spend any time doing that. The other part of my business as a consultant and a facilitator and a speaker takes on that part of the learning. But we do a lot of questioning. And sometimes people are surprised to get into a session with a coach and she's not giving advice. And I think that's one of the misnomers between coach and mentor that's different. And even a consultant, you'll see people out there calling themselves strategists. And that's a lot of the time because they're actually, they're giving advice. Now, what we know to be true as coaches, especially those of us trained in a degree of positive psychology, is that if the answers come from you, you are more than likely intrinsically motivated to get these things done. And in what we know to be true about intrinsic motivation is that because it comes from inside of you and because it comes from you, 
it will be more sustainable when it comes to action and actually getting it done. So a nice mix of extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation is not bad. And that's why you typically have a mentor and you might have a coach too. We're very different from therapists as well, although we work very well side by side because therapists will look back into your life and try and fix what's broken. We spend more time as coaches looking forward. And if we look back, it's with the idea of propelling you forward, not to fix you. And so you describe your coaching as being informed by positive psychology and by neuroscience. You spoke a little bit there about intrinsic motivation, but maybe just tell us a little bit more about what does it mean for your work to be informed by neuroscience and positive psychology? Okay. So, you know, you could be a coach in, in any aspect, right? There are all sorts of coaches out there. But because I work with executives and people who are in business and we look into their lives, we find it's very important to be evidence-based. And much of that is grounded in some type of science. You will find coaches that are you know, informed by other kinds of sciences. Mine happens to be positive psychology first and then neuroscience second. It really speaks to motivation, where that motivation comes from. And then the neuroscience is actually how the brain actually works and functions to make these things happen. So I, my, my practice is grounded in the idea that happy people are successful people, which has been scientifically proven by applied positive psychology to be true. You don't work towards happiness. You have to find it yourself and then you become successful. It's not the other way around. You don't find success and then find happiness. And so when you look at it in that perspective, you're able to look at the entire person, both personal and professional, and find those areas where there may be gaps in happiness. And we'll use and leverage positive emotion to get you where you're trying to go. There are actually 10 positive emotions. Um, Some of them you're very familiar with because they're on trend right now. You hear a lot of people talking about gratitude, you know, making sure that you start the day with gratitude, expressing gratitude or maybe keeping a gratitude journal. But some of the ones that you may not be as familiar with are amusement, That just means downright fun, right? (laughs) And last week when I logged on with my clients, many of them are online because they're everywhere around the globe. I had on my Mickey ears, 15th anniversary Disney Mickey ears, and I think a rose gold hat that matched or something like that. And I did it so that when my clients came online, the first thing I would see them do was light up like, why in the world does she have that on? And they're smiling all of a sudden. And it's fun. What we know to be true is that it takes three positive emotions at one time to undo a bad mood. And so if we can get you out of a bad mood, or maybe even just a negative one that's just a little concerned or what have you, we can push you further faster. So that's just a little insight into why the positive psychology. So I know that your most recent book released in June of 2023 is titled, Yes, Please, Seven Ways to Say I'm Entitled to the C-Suite. Yes. Would you you talk a little bit about who you wrote that book for? Yes. It's a continuation, I would say, a follow-up to the first book that I wrote, No Thanks, Seven Ways to Say, I'll Just Include Myself. And that was a love letter to my sisters, primarily 
black women, secondarily women of color, and then thirdly, all women. Okay. And the reason for that is because there's research that came out in 2017 by Catalyst and also women in the workplace. They both said about the same thing, that women have a very difficult time in corporate America because of microaggressive behaviors and biases based on their gender. But then when you add in the intersectionality of being a woman of color, you become the double disadvantaged. And so when they've recognized that these organizations center white maleness, that automatically others, people who are not white and who are not male, okay? So if you are a black woman, you get this disadvantage doubly, and even more so than some of your counterparts that may be brown. The other thing is that those same studies showed that women of color, especially black women, are leaving corporate America faster than anyone else. And the reason they cite it is because they're tired of being othered. And what comes with being othered? And many of those women are starting their own businesses, according to the U.S. Census. Black women are starting more businesses at a faster clip than any other segment of women or any other segment at all. But they're also followed by other women of color and then women in general. So we're starting lots of businesses. And the reason why we're citing is because we're sick of the BS. We don't like being treated poorly. We want to be treated as humans like everyone else. And if we're excellent, rewarded for our business and our, our greatness, just like anyone else would be. So Yes, Please is my insight my storytelling, the research that I've done to help women of color, especially black women, make their way to the C-suite because the, the numbers are really, really dismal. About seven companies are led by women of color in general in the Fortune 500. Only two of those women are black. The Sunda Brown Duckett at TIAA Craft and Roz Brewer, who is at Walgreens Boots. So the numbers are dismal and you have to ask yourself, why is that? Because it would seem that if you go into a business and you work hard, you'll just get rewarded like anyone else and you'll move up the ladder. But it's just not necessarily true. What I have done is take the positive psychology basis and the neuroscience basis and presented some leadership concepts that may not be new to the majority of people out there. But the access to this information has been little to none for women who make it to mid-level and then suddenly they're spewed out of the leadership pipeline for one reason or the other. Either they're pushed out, they're leaping on their own, as the data has shown, or they're being pulled out. And that has more to do with partnership in the home front. As someone who listens to the Leading Learning Podcast, you should know about the Leading Learning Newsletter, which you can subscribe to at leadinglearning.com slash inbox. The newsletter is inbox intelligence for learning businesses and helps you understand the latest technology, marketing, and learning trends and grow your learning business. Best of all, it's a free resource. As a subscriber, you'll get leading links, our monthly curated collection of resources to help you grow the reach, revenue, and impact of your learning business. The Podcast Digest, a monthly summary of podcast episodes released during the previous month. 
plus periodic announcements highlighting leading learning webinars and other educational opportunities designed to benefit learning business professionals. Subscribe for free at leadinglearning.com slash inbox. And if you're already subscribed, point a colleague to leadinglearning.com slash inbox. I know that affirmations also play a role in your work, and maybe that's part of, maybe you're putting some of those leadership concepts under these affirmations, but maybe you can either share some of the, the leadership concepts and or some affirmations that you like to, to use and, and help, especially women of color, better understand sure. their, their role in the workplace and how, what they can do to make sure that they aren't othered. Right. Okay, so one of the affirmations, and let me let me back up for a second. The reason for the affirmations, again, positive psychology, okay? If we understand from the survey that I've done of 100 high-performing professional Black women in corporate America, that 90% of them say they are not happy mm-hmm. in corporate America, there's a problem. Yeah. Because what we know to be true, what I just said about positive psychology, happy people are successful people. So we've got to get our black women and other women of color and women in general happy. And we have to understand why they're unhappy. So the book really peels apart some of those issues. And it's based in the research that we've seen before. Again, a continuation. One of the things that is cited in the Women in the Workplace and Catalyst research from 2017 and again in 2019 and again in 2020, that sponsorship is hard to come by. It's hard for women to find these sponsors, black or otherwise. But if you're black, it's really hard. So one of the affirmations that's in the book is I am entitled to a good sponsor that works on my behalf. And it may seem very simple, but the fact that it's hard to find one, once you find one, you need them to actually do what sponsors do. And what we're finding is That's not always the case. And there are myriad of reasons why that could be. But one reason is because it's a game of numbers. We've been taught, especially women of color, if you can't be it, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So we look for people that look like us. Well, there's a numbers problem. If you're not finding black women at the top of these organizations, how then can you find a black woman sponsor? So the few that are there, the one or two that are there, depending on what company, where you are, they're in high demand when it comes to sponsorship. And people also forget that once you get to the C-suite, the problems don't go away. In fact, they're amplified because you are the only one in the room in a male-dominated, white male-dominated situation. Whether anyone is saying something negative or not, you can feel it in your pores when you walk in. So we navigate some culturally nuanced leadership advice, not just to get a sponsor, not just to diversify your board so that you have all sorts of people that look that don't look like you, don't think like you, don't have the same role as you, maybe in a different industry, maybe even in a different company. But we also go as far as to say Based on the research, the survey that I did, where we even asked in that survey, who has been the most helpful and who has been the most hindrance to you on your leadership journey? Based on what those women have said, and also based on what I'm hearing as a coach from women that are just like them, most of them say, 
43% of them said that white men have had a big impact and have been the most helpful outside of other black women. So there we go, flying in the face of you can't be it unless you see it. This guy doesn't look like you. (laughs) But we're finding that these successful women that make it to the C-suite will identify sponsors and mentors that are white and male. But here's the trick. Remember, there are two questions. There are two lists. Who's been the most helpful? Who's been the most harmful? Mm. Everybody is on both lists. Mm. So the question becomes, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Because I, from my experience, white men have been very helpful and instrumental in my career. It's not to say that black women have not been. The few that were there have been. But these guys have been. But I've been in organizations where I walked in and Chad was working to the end of his days to make sure I was shut down. So how do you go into an organization in a new role and know who's who? It actually takes time. It takes time and it takes a degree of savviness. At the same time, it it could be a source of disillusion. So while you're going through all of these steps to try and figure out who you can trust and, and who can be a great sponsor or who can be a great mentor, we have to reinforce the positive emotion. And through the storytelling of the other women of power that are in this book, you see them seeking out other women, peers, mentors, people who can pour back into them their value and happiness. One of the women that speaks is the chief experience officer at the Utah Jazz. And she said that one way that she maintains her happiness is to look outwardly and to celebrate other women. So when she sees someone doing well, she makes sure that she goes out of her way to celebrate them. And guess what the byproduct is? She feels good too, right? I had another chief nursing officer in the medical and healthcare industry who had moved to 10 different cities in order to move up to where she is today. Senior vice president, chief nursing officer, one of the biggest hospital systems in the United States of America. That can get lonely. Not just because she's the only one in the room, but she's moving every so many years and she doesn't have that community. When I asked her, where did she get her happiness in times where it's really tough and she's the only because the villain in the book is isolation? She says she turns to her family because they know who she is. Her husband pours it right back into her. The happiness and the joy she feels at the accomplishment of her sons, one of which had just finished college and moving him into his first apartment. She gets joy from that. So they find different ways to reinforce their positive emotion so that they can go back into the war zone and do the battle. So that's one affirmation, this idea that I deserve sponsorship. I deserve not just any sponsorship either, but a, a sponsor who's truly going to go to bat for me and and fulfill what it means to be a sponsor. But I'm also thinking about our podcast listeners who aren't Black women or aren't women of color. What is it that you would want them to understand and then potentially do with this understanding of what it's like for Black women in the workplace and 
for that culture that can kind of leave them doubly disadvantaged. Yes. Well, you know, as people who are designing some of the learning and the programs that many leaders are learning from, I would hope that in this conversation that you've listened very intently, listened actively, listened mindfully so that you understand where the people who are on the other end of your design are coming from. And hopefully you'll be able to design programs that have these nuances in mind, because let's look at the numbers. Our workforces are becoming multicultural. They're browning. Even if we're just looking at color and not just about all the other boxes that you could check, you know, they're browning. The most multicultural adult generation is a millennial generation. And we've got Gen Z who's coming out of college now. They're getting their first jobs. One out of every two babies born in 2012 is a baby of color. That's 50%. So we even need to change our language when it comes to talking about minorities. They're not minorities anymore. They're not. Get rid of the language, right? Start to understand what these different generations, how they tick, what they need, what they look for, how they learn. One of the things that I do, although my my leaders are typically in midlife and mid-career, I have more and more millennials coming my way. But I make sure, because education's in my background too. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at Texas Christian University. I know about hybrid design and, and even, you know, just typical design for learning and development curriculums and such. It's important that you give everyone all sorts of opportunities and ways to learn what you put in front of them. So even in my coaching, when they are prepared to answer one of my questions, I will give them a mindful moment. I'll tell them not to answer right away, to think about it, then write it, then share it. It's a red team exercise. You might recognize it, but it gives you a few different ways to digest and be mindful of the material, of the question. One, you're going to think about it. Two, you're going to write it. So this kinesthetic, right? Then you end up saying it. You might even repeat it. I'll usually reflect back to you. That's the other thing a coach is. I'm a mirror. So I'm going to reflect back to you what I just heard. So you're going to hear it. So one of my biggest pieces of advice is to give people ultimately several ways to take in the information because everybody's different and you don't know which two of those learning methods is going to hit home for someone. But it also gives everybody the chance to learn it all. But just know that there are cultural nuances between the races and also even genders. We have different experiences. So bouncing your design off of someone who does not look like you or act like you, you know, treat it the same way an executive with their personal board of directors. Get yourself a tribe that you can use sort of like a focus group informally and bounce it off of them and see what they come back with and see how you can tweak your design and get where you're trying to go. So this is the Leading Learning Podcast. So one of the things we always like to ask guests is just a little bit about their own 
lifelong learning. And so I would love to hear from you, El Michelle, what are some practices or habits or sources you turn to as you're looking to grow yourself personally and professionally? So this is one of the, oh, I'm glad you asked that question because this is one of the advantages of having a credential coach. We are held to the standard of continued learning and we can't recertify or, you know, they expire. These things expire. You have to go back in there and test again to get your credentials back or even go higher up the chain. You have to have continuing coaching education units. So when I first got my coaching credential, it was in applied positive psychology. That neuroscience certification, I'm still working on it, but that's part of my continued coaching education. The red team exercise that I just talked about, I just earned some continuing coaching hours and red team coaching. I love it because it it invigorates my practice and it serves my people, even though it's serving me. You know, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm upskilling. But to see how they are accelerated even more by the learning that I bring to them, it makes it even more important. Again, it's intrinsic for me because I want to see, I have a desire and a passion to see my clients climb higher. And when they succeed, man, I am, (laughs) I'm overjoyed. I, I just can't help it. So there's a continuing coaching education that I do. But I'm always reading. I'm a self-proclaimed geek chic individual. I love technology. It's a part of who I am. It's a part of my brand. And when this AI thing hit as hard as it did and as fast as it did, yeah, it was scary. It's still scary. I'm not going to lie. But the things, the, the opportunities that it opened up for me as a business owner, also as a coach, as an individual, I love playing with that thing, you know, whether it's chat GPT or some other application that has it embedded inside of it. I want to know all the different ways that AI can benefit humanity. So I have this innate curiosity, which actually feeds my ability to be a great coach. You have to question everything. So I have questions. I'm going to be looking for answers. So I'm going to be reading about it. I'm going to be you know, scanning YouTube and going to YouTube University to learn about it. (laughs) I'm going to be on TikTok seeing what people are going to say. I think that continued learning and upskilling is just, I'm hardwired for it. And I think that if you're not learning, you're definitely like not growing and whatever's not growing is dead. So as long as I'm on this earth and alive and able to do that, I'm going to do it. Have you engaged in experiences where you either really saw, wow, they're really working hard to make sure that everyone's engaged, including women of color, or perhaps on the other end, you know, where you've come up against educational offerings where you felt like, wow, they really did not design this for me. I mean, is there sort of, do you have any examples or or ideas for how people can consume sort of responsibly in a way, you know, make sure that what they're taking in as they pursue their own learning is going to benefit them. Yeah. I think I hear a couple of things there. One of the things that I saw in 
after the after the George Floyd situation, which, if you recall, was a massive rebuke on anti-blackness. It was something we'd never seen before. In fact, since the civil rights movement, and definitely not at that scale, people were hitting the streets in Italy, of all places, and everywhere to say something about this. And then we saw corporations pipe up and they took a stance. And whether it was a black square on Instagram or it was funds that they were donating to a community group or some effort to encourage and lift up the black community, we also saw companies that were trying to pour into leaders more and fill the pipeline. That was one of the things that we saw. We wanted to see more black leaders, not just in the pipeline, but we wanted to see them on the boards. We wanted to see them in the C-suites. We wanted to see them at every level. So they funded these programs and some of them were knee jerk and not very well thought out. And what I heard from the leaders, and I told you just the, the other day when we were chatting about the show, I, I position myself like Nike. Nike is for the athlete, not necessarily for the sports industry. They're for the athlete. I'm here for the leader. So I don't spend a lot of time telling organizations how to be more diverse, equitable, or inclusive. I spend time with the leaders hoping that they will be able to navigate the obstacles that are in front of them. So after all of this happened, one of the knee-jerk solutions was let's let's talk about it. Let's have courageous conversations. And they'd call on the black leaders who had just seen the video, who were mortified, horrified, and triggered based on things that had happened in their own families that they'd seen for themselves. And they were asked to sit on panels and present to everybody in the wake of that. Just right in the midst of it. There's something to be said about empathy and engaging empathy in your learning design. Because if there was some thought put to it, if someone had just simply said, if I were in their shoes, would I really want to be saying all of this to all of these people with all of this raw emotion and this really hitting home the way it had? We saw that with the violence against Asians. You know, some of the companies, first thing I want to do, have a town hall. Let's bring all the Asians together and let them talk about it and we'll listen. Is that the most empathetic or even effective way to have a courageous conversation? I would venture to say no, because what ends up happening when I have my emergency coaching circles and have the parents, let's just say, who just saw the news of Uvalde come across their news feeds or they saw it on television because they were still at home working with no place to emote. Nobody at work said anything about, you know what? If you need to go home, go home. No one, no one said that. <laughs> They're just there to grin and bear it. But I gather them so that they can emote. I start to hear from them, you know, we have these diversity, equity, inclusion programs, but something's missing because there's no thought to what we're actually going through every day and what the news cycle is bringing down the pike. And when you talk about parents, you're talking about every corner of society. They look like everybody, but they were all hurting the same way. So I would say that 
as you're building your programs to keep in mind what what's going on in the outer world, what's the cultural context, what's going on inside of people as a result of what's going on in the cultural context, and how you can show up for them in those situations and what would benefit those folks first. L. Michelle Smith is a life and business coach, an author, and a speaker. In the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 366, you'll find a link to L. Michelle's website where you can learn more about her work and books. Jeff and I would be grateful if you would rate the Leading Learning Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you find the show valuable, because ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And please spread the word about Leading Learning, whether in a one-on-one conversation with a colleague or a personal note or on social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 366, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.